Chapter Eight of the Wife of the Secretary of State. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Julia Wise. The Wife of the Secretary of State by Ella Middleton Tybout. Chapter Eight. Mr. Marks, scientist and man of erudition sought David Lee in his apartment at Mrs. Colson's one evening as the latter was putting the finishing touches to his toilette, preparatory to dining with a party of young men at the Alibi Club. "'I trust,' said he, with laborious politeness, "'that I do not incommode you by my unceremonious appearance.' "'Not a bit of it,' replied David cheerfully. "'Can't you find a chair? Oh, just shove those things off on the floor and sit down anywhere. I'm rather in a mess just now, as you see.' David devoted his entire attention to his necktie and when he considered it beyond criticism, looked inquiringly at his visitor. "'Mr. Lee,' said that gentleman, with the air of a man who makes an astonishing announcement, "'I propose to spend a portion of this evening calling upon a young lady.' "'Do you?' said David cordially. "'Now I call that uncommonly wise on your part. But why only a portion?' My paper, intended for the scientific American, showing the development of the monkey into the man, is yet unfinished.' returned Mr. Mark stiffly. Hence but a few hours each evening can be devoted to frivolity. Too bad, said David sympathetically. Now, I'm afraid I should be inclined to chuck the monkey business and make it the whole evening. Of course, however, that depends on the girl. You seem conversant with the ordinary phases of social life, resumed Mr. Marks rather patronizingly while I have had but little leisure to study them, being occupied with more important and serious pursuits. In calling upon a young lady, what, for instance, is your idea of a seemly topic of conversation? Mr. Marks was a deep and unfailing source of pleasure to David, who delighted in drawing him out, always sure of being rewarded for his trouble. The young lady herself, he now returned promptly, carefully adjusting his cuff-button. Mr. Marks made a note of this reply on the back of his visiting card. "'I thought,' he explained, "'that I would just jot down a few topics and hold the card in my hand, so that when one subject was exhausted I could glance carelessly down and introduce another.' "'A most excellent idea,' said David gratefully, "'and original, too. What had you thought of jotting?' "'Well,' said Mr. Marks, "'I begin with Professor Bristow's paper upon metallurgy. Most interesting.' "'No doubt,' agreed David suavely. "'What else?' "'I thought I might touch lightly upon Professor Green's description of a partial eclipse of the sun in Liberia. There were unusual and most unexpected features connected with it.' "'I would make the touch very light indeed, Mr. Marks,' suggested David. "'Why not mention the weather, or the theatre, or perhaps the last new book?' "'The latest book of note,' observed Mr. Marks, making an entry on his card. I suppose that would embrace either Hendrick's treatise expounding his theory on the extinction of the mastodon, or von Weber's electricity, past, present, and future. A masterpiece, Mr. Lee, a masterpiece. David turned and regarded him curiously. Mr. Marks, he said anxiously, search your memory. Did you ever frivol? I do not think, said Mr. Marks reflectively, that I recall the exact definition of the word. David broke into delighted and irrepressible laughter. "'Brace up, man, brace up!' he exclaimed, slapping the surprised scientist on the shoulder. "'Read a few novels. The more sentimental, the better. 
go to the theatre. Never mind whether we descended from monkeys or not. For my part, I, I don't care to know the exact truth. Mr. Marks shuffled his feet uneasily. He wore green carpet slippers with a pink rose over the toes thereof, and his white stockings sprinkled loosely around the ankle. "'One should keep in touch with the questions of the day,' he observed pompously. "'Now look here,' said David, as he brushed his hat. "'Go out and see girls every evening for a while, but for heaven's sake don't talk to them about mastodons and metallurgy. If you can't think of anything to say, just sit still and look pleasant, and let them do the talking.' "'You might send the one you like best a few flowers, you know, or something of that sort.' "'I had thought of that,' confessed Mr. Marks. "'But I feared I might compromise myself unduly by such a very marked attention. "'I wish to arouse no false hopes, Mr. Lee.' David assured him he might safely invest in the flowers, then paused and looked with interest at his companion. "'Mr. Marks,' he remarked seriously, "'what you need is to see life. "'There's lots of it all around you.' "'Washington is just full of real, vital, pulsating life. "'Go out and find it. "'Take my advice. "'Drop your ologies and isms for a while and live. "'You'll find it pays in the long run.' "'Perhaps it does,' acquiesced Mr. Marks thoughtfully. "'Perhaps it does.' "'He rose and started for the door, but lingered uncertainly. "'I am going to see Miss Gray,' he announced abruptly. "'Have you any message?' "'My regards, of course.' "'replied Davis carelessly. "'I'm really ashamed when I think I've never called upon her since she left here.' "'Mr. Marks slowly retreated to his hall bedroom "'and made his toilet with unwanted care. "'A pot of white hyacinths in full bloom "'loaded the room with their overpowering fragrance. "'It would seem he made his purchases first and asked advice afterwards. "'Mr. Marks proceeded to comb his stiff, light-brown hair "'directly upward above his massive brow "'and assume a clean collar.' also a large cravat which hooked behind thus presenting a hard black surface in front not unlike a funeral pincushion then brushed his coat carefully it was of good quality broadcloth therefore the fact that it wrinkled in the back and was several inches too short in the sleeves disturbed his serenity not at all nor did the manner in which his trousers crept far above his shoe tips whenever he sat down seem in the least important for the higher stratas of mr marx's brain had been carefully cultivated to the entire exclusion of all mundane trifles. He then took from the window the pot of hyacinths, wrapped it carefully in newspaper, and prepared to go out. It was very cold. The December wind penetrated to the marrow of his bones, while the paper about the hyacinths fluttered alarmingly as he resolutely forged his way across Lafayette Park, regardless of the fine cold rain which fell steadily. Finally the wind, after pausing for an instant, rushed down Pennsylvania Avenue and through the park with renewed vigor, carrying with it Mr. Marks's box-shaped derby as well as the paper about the flowers. The hat rolled rapidly down the path with Mr. Marks in hot pursuit, and finally brought up abruptly against the iron railing surrounding the statue of Jackson on his rampant steed. Breathless but triumphant, the man of science clutched his property. He also clutched something else. A flat package, carefully wrapped in thick brown paper, had taken refuge against the railing, and he tucked it securely beneath his arm. "'Had quite a chase, didn't you?' remarked the park policeman sympathetically, readjusting the hyacinths, which were considerably the worse for the run. "'He might have had a civil word for a body,' muttered that functionary, as Mr. Marks absently marched off without replying. From the rear of General Jackson now appeared a second wet, wind-tossed figure, anxiously scanning the ground. "'I say,' it remarked abruptly, 
I've lost a package, you know. Didn't happen to see it, did you? Was it flat and long and wrapped in brown paper? inquired the policeman deliberately. Yes, said the figure hurriedly. Yes, that's it. The other chap picked it up, said the arm of the law indifferently. He went that away, pointing vaguely towards the avenue and resuming his measured pacing to and fro as the other started in pursuit of the unconscious Mr. Marks. Having made the circuit of the park, he again drew near the Jackson statue in the center, where he encountered a woman wrapped in a long, dark cloak, and vainly trying to breast the buffeting of the wind. She grasped the iron railing for support as she accosted him, and he observed that her hand was small and daintily gloved, although her face was completely hidden by a thick veil. "'I have been so unfortunate as to lose a long, flat package wrapped in brown paper,' she said hastily. "'Perhaps you may have seen it.' The policeman was getting familiar with this formula. "'You aren't the only one that's lost such a bundle to-night,' he returned curiously, and proceeded to give her all the information he possessed. With a hasty word of thanks, she sped away in the direction indicated, while he watched her fluttering draperies disappear in the distance. "'Well, I'm blowed!' he ejaculated fervently. "'I certainly am blowed!' Meanwhile, Mr. Marks pursued the even tenor of his way, totally unconscious of having annexed another person's property." Christine Gray had been forced to leave the genteel shelter of Mrs. Colson's roof for a cheaper abiding-place, and had accordingly transferred herself and her belongings to a house within the limits of the sixty dollars a month, which must provide food and lodging as well as raiment for an apparently indefinite period. Life in the war department, with the recreation and bodily nourishment afforded by a second-class boarding-house, was not a particularly healthy existence for a young and pretty girl. But Christine as yet enjoyed the novelty of being closely occupied, and might be said to rival even the little busy bee of copy-book renown, inasmuch as she had so far managed to extract honey from weeds as well as flowers. On this particular evening she had perched herself on the side of her bed, having installed her sister in the once comfortable chair the room contained, after forcibly depriving her of her hat and coat. Mary Gray had lately completed her course of training at a large hospital, and the rare evenings she could spend with her sister were highly prized. The younger girl also looked forward eagerly to these visits, and had settled herself to recount even the most minute trifles which had occurred since their last meeting. "'Oh, dear!' she exclaimed dismally, as Mr. Marks's card was handed her. "'To think he should come to-night! Well, I'll be just as stupid and quiet as I can, and perhaps he won't stay long.' Consequently, it was a distraite and preoccupied damsel who listened to poor Mr. Marks's strenuous efforts to be lively and agreeable. In vain did he carelessly glance at the card of memoranda in his hand, and laboriously introduce one subject after another. Christine was bored, and showed it plainly, and Mr. Marks felt that as a social trifler he was a distinct failure. Not yet vanquished, however, he gave a most unnecessary hitch to the legs of his trousers, which already permitted the display of fully three inches of stocking, and started in afresh. "'Professor Frisbane asserted the other day, during a brief conversation with me,' he remarked learnedly, "'that in his opinion direct communication with the planet Mars was a mere matter of time.' "'Indeed,' returned Christine vaguely, and silence ensued. "'I have been deeply interested in a series of articles now appearing in the Scientific American,' volunteered Mr. Marks with renewed animation which discuss the subject of ossification in all its bearings. I will be glad to lend them to you. No, please don't, 
replied Christine hurriedly. I mean, I have not any time for reading. A few more topics of general interest were introduced by the gentleman and wet blanketed by the lady, until at last, discouraged, he took his leave. When he paused in the hall to put on his overcoat, he discovered the pot of hyacinths and the recently acquired package, both of which he had entirely forgotten. Mr. Marks was puzzled as to the proper course to pursue, but decided to act boldly. Retreating to the doorsteps, he rang a violent peal at the bell, and when the maid appeared, thrust both plant and bundle into her astonished hands. "'For Miss Gray,' he said abruptly, "'with my compliments!' and promptly disappeared. "'He stayed everlastingly, Molly,' remarked Christine, returning to find her sister putting on her hat. "'And now you're going. It's too bad.' "'Christine,' said Miss Gray, as she buttoned her coat, "'where did you get those roses?' Christine dimpled and glowed as she touched the bowl of red roses caressingly. "'It was Mr. Rivers,' she replied. "'And, oh, Molly, he's been so nice. I wanted to tell you all about it.' "'The gentleman who has just left sends you these with his compliments, miss,' said the maid, appearing suddenly. Christine impatiently pushed the flowers to one side, but curiously untied the stout twine string about the package. A second package was disclosed, closely sealed and labelled. R double O, spelled Christine slowly. Oh, it's just those old papers he spoke of, as though I wanted to read them. What papers? I'm sure I don't remember, Molly. Rossification or ossification or something of that sort. Christine, remarked her sister, slowly drawing on her gloves. I believe Mr. Marks is a good man. Very worthy indeed, said Christine lightly. No doubt he rocked his own cradle to save his mother trouble. "'But it don't follow that I have to read his old bundle of papers.' Mary kissed her sister and turned to depart, but paused a moment, her hand on the door-knob. "'Christine,' she said earnestly, "'I don't feel comfortable about Mr. Rivers. "'One hears such strange things in Washington. "'Please be careful, dear.' "'Nonsense,' replied Christine equably. "'I'm quite able to look out for myself, Molly. "'And then there's Harry.' "'Yes,' said Miss Gray, as she closed the door. To be sure, there's Harry, in Alaska. Christine, left alone, hastened to put the blooming plant on the outer edge of the window-sill. I do abominate the odor of white hyacinths, she remarked as she lowered the shade. She then proceeded to clip the stems of the roses and put them into fresh water, lingering over the task as though she liked it, and humming a merry little tune. This done, she once more picked up the despised package and balanced it on her fingers. "'Shall I open it?' she deliberated. The drawer of the bureau was partly open, displaying laces, handkerchiefs, gloves, and ribbons in hopeless confusion. With a contemptuous motion, she tossed the package in also. "'So much for that!' she exclaimed aloud. "'If he wants them again, he can come for them. I don't expect to waste my time reading them.' Christine now seated herself before the mirror, and carefully studied the face that was reflected therein. She noted the brown hair which lay in little soft rings about the low white forehead, the large brown eyes which smiled back at her through a fringe of long curled lashes, the rounded cheek tinted like a shell, the little rosy ears, and the dimpled mouth. And Christine lighted another gas jet that she might have a better view. After an exhaustive study of the mirror, she rose and yawned sleepily. I ought to write to Harry, she remarked, as she put her face into the bowl of roses and inhaled their perfume. "'But I'm so sleepy, I think I'll go to bed. 
and i forgot to tell molly about the theatre too but i guess it's all right anyhow i'm going and in his hall bedroom at mrs colson's mr marks was also seated before his mirror the treatise upon the evolution of the monkey into the man lay face downward upon the floor and the ink had long since dried upon the pen thrust behind his ear i believe he said aloud that it is a man's duty to personally investigate all phases of life in order to thoroughly understand existence i shall begin with the social mr marks ran his fingers rapidly through his upright locks and caressed the shadowy little whiskers which adorned the turning point of the jawbone i don't see he remarked reflectively removing his black cravat but that i am as good-looking as most men End of chapter 8